And at 27 minutes after the hour, it's time to check in with uh, Pastor Robbie Pruitt. Robbie is an Anglican pastor based in Ashburn, Virginia, his church in, uh, in oh, Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. And um, he's also the executive director of Preserving Bible Times. We treasure the time we have with Robbie every Thursday. But Robbie, I have to ask you a question. I have referred to you twice this morning already as Dr. <laughs> Dr. Robbie Pruitt. Now, far from it. Okay. So you're you're still an undergraduate, you might say, kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I'm in the uh, 46th year of the school of life. <laughs> well, that qualifies you as almost a graduate because I know graduate students are graduate students forever. You know, they just <laughs> that's right. That, that keeps, never go, never quit. Keeps them out of the army and keeps the the funds coming in, and and that's the way grad students are. So I I apologize. I didn't mean to. No worries. You know, okay. It took me eight years to get my undergrad degree. Another eight to get my master's. So oh really? I, I don't wow. I don't dare to even try to get a PhD. Well, it probably call, take me eight to sixteen years. Call you over overachiever, huh? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All these softies doing it in four years. Yeah. Uh, well, he's earned earned his stripes in service. Uh, what five years in Haiti? And and yeah. and, and uh, mm. do you speak French? I do not. Okay. I'm still working on English. My wife speaks Polish, mm-hmm. French, English, and Creole. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. So I see you. You married above yourself, above your. Yeah, okay. I, I did. I married way <laughs> in. Over, I'm, I'm way in over my head. That's so. impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, Robbie joins us every Thursday, and and we really emphasize the the context. Of, of scripture and it, particularly the the gospels uh matthew mark luke and john we we get but the, the thing about robbie is he so effectively connects the old testament with the new that we were enabled to see the whole the big whole big picture here how they reinforce each other and you can't have one without the other they like like we said last week it's like wet on water it all goes together it tells a grand story and so don't ignore those little footnotes is what I'm saying. Go back and forth. Go ahead and take the time. And every now and then, you'll, you'll see a footnote, and you'll go back to, say, Isaiah or the prophets or, or the Psalms, and you'll see it says it's not quoted the same. And, Robbie, correct me if I'm wrong. That's because the Old Testament we have in our Bible is translated from the Hebrew, not from the Greek. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard uh, someone say this week that every translation is a commentary because it's not it, once you take it from its original language and put it into english mm-hmm. you're, you're you're making decisions whether you're translating it from hebrew or, or greek but that would explain some of the difference in the wording if you go back and forth but the, the essence is not changed it's it, it's the same and i think you mentioned you you kind of prefer the english standard version the esv is that what you use yeah, the ESV. But w- what I would recommend folks do is read their focal passage in as many translations as possible. Mm-hmm. And on and, online, and, that's and e- easy to do. Bible Gateway, just just click it, and you can you can switch versions of the Bible, so you don't have to have a hundred of them in your in your your library there. Uh, I'm looking at the English Standard Version right now, and and I know we're we're focusing on on uh, the third chapter of John and the meeting with Nicodemus. Now. There was a question in the chat window this morning about the chosen, and that question popped into my head too when I watched the episode of Nicodemus and, and Jesus getting together at night on the chosen, and it was not what I pictured from reading the Bible. And I so I went back and I I clicked back as you usually should do when if you're going to study 
John chapter 3, go back to John chapter 2 or John chapter 1 and read forward. And I know that the Apostle John was not so big on chronological order in, in what he's saying in, in the Bible. So in, in chapter 2, uh, there's the wedding at Cana. And then there's the, uh, the and then it says that he goes to Capernaum and stayed a while. And then it says he went up to to Jerusalem for for the the feast days, and then bam, you go to three and Nicodemus is there. On the chosen, it seems to me the meeting was like around Capernaum, like Nicodemus hung out around Capernaum. Now you mentioned poetic license. Is that poetic uh, license? Artistic license. Artistic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always pictured Nicodemus. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's one of the leading Pharisees. They pictured that correctly in the Chosen. But I always just thought he was in Jerusalem. But now he's wandering around Capernaum trying to find out who Jesus is. Um, which picture is right? Yeah, I, I would assume with you that he's going to be around Jerusalem, being a member of the Sanhedrin. So, in John 2, when Jesus turns the water into wine in Cana of Galilee, then it shifts to the cleansing of the temple. Yeah. That, which is in Jerusalem. So, now now we're in the right context. But that's, it, that's in John twice, though. Which piece? The cleansing of the temple. John talks about it two times. Now, I don't think, personally, that there were two different times that that happened. I think there was one. Right. And, and uh, in, in timing... To chapter two, and then Nicodemus, I don't think so. That would have put him in Passion Week, and and he was pretty much off to himself during Passion Week, unless he was teaching on the, the temple steps. So I, I think that his conversation with the Nicodemus had happened sometime prior. Do you agree? Mm. Yeah, and again, you're hitting on John's gospel not being chronological necessarily, and I I encourage people to also there's a, a resource that you can get called the Chronological Bible or the Chronological Study Bible. You can do that plus uh, there are theological and biblical chart books that will take the Gospels and put them in and give you charts to kind of put the parallel passages in order. Now when you mention a Chronological Bible, don't they just reorder the the books of the Bible, the 66 books and the order of writing? But they wouldn't do change the internal text, would they? Or would they? Oh yeah, yeah. They, they would give you the um, the synthesize the timing, even if it's out of order. So, so so John would read much differently in a chronological Bible. Is that what you're saying? It could, and I don't have it in front of me, but I do have a copy of that mm-hmm. in, in my in my resource and library. There, there could be several several different kinds of chronological Bibles too. I would imagine. Right, and then Wayne Grudem has uh, the chronological background charts of the new testament Hmm. which i highly recommend it's a wonderful resource so i'm looking now at the synoptic parallels but then again nicodemus isn't going to be in because he's not a you know the the account of nicodemus only shows up in john's gospel Mm -hmm. so you're not not going to get any data from matthew mark and luke when you put this in the chronology this, this nicodemus account because it's just simply not there. And and uh, don't let that confuse you, because John writes about his relationship with Jesus in a much different way. And he's not ticking off events. He's not trying to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong again, because you're the authority here. It's like Matthew, where his, his he starts out with a genealogy. He simply wants to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. John is talking about the difference in the relationship 
and, and the love and, and the authenticity of this man sent by God. Can I break in a second here? Well, you, you just okay. did, yeah. They, they, I, I guess I just did. <laughs> they, uh, I want to go back. I, I don't go back two pages, and I'm looking at chronological uh, order of Bibles, or chronological Bible. And it, in, it, in the description, it says that Genesis was concurrent with the book of Job. And Exodus and Leviticus uh, were also, you know, at the same, written, either written at the same time. So is it based on when they were written or when the events happened? Oh, that's a, it's usually when the events happen, because if you really look at like Job and Genesis, Job is the oldest book in the Bible, meaning hmm. um, it's, it, its content is older. <clears throat> but, you know, certainly Genesis... Well, well, Genesis creation is the oldest possible thing, but in terms of the oldest historical book, it's most scholars believe it's Job. I, I mean, yeah, Job. So, and, and that's wisdom literature, but it, it kind of comes first in terms of date of writing, and it too has a creation account. So, like, so with the Gospels, they have different authors, different intentions. So we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic. But then John's gospel is completely different. So Grudem also puts like a, a chart to basically pick apart the contrast between the synoptics and John. So one is chiefly concerned with Jesus's ministry in the north and around Galilee. But John actually gives more coverage to Jesus's ministry around Judea and, and the temple, which is what we're already into talking about um, this Galilee shift from Cana to the temple and Nicodemus. So I, I kind of suspect... As long as it got your attention here, you used a phrase called artistic license. Yeah. And that was one of the one of the phrases that we saw over and over and over again when we were at the Ark last summer. And, <laughs> and people people used, you know, people said, uh, the, the question was, or uh, the, the posters said, many people just can't believe that there were there were only 1,600 animals in the ark, for example. And and they said, we've taken some of this from gospel, some of this from, mm-hmm. from what was written, but, but others we have taken from artistic license. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, they gave, like he gave some of the wise names. Yeah, it, and, it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast with the, the director of Chosen, and his point, so let's just take it to the the person who's writing the scripts, D- Dallas Jenkins. Mm-hmm. He says that he loves the show because it gets people thinking about the Bible and visualizing the Bible, putting the Bible in its context. But he, to quote him, the chosen is no substitute for your Bible. So let's mm-hmm. let's be clear that um, the chosen is not accurate to the text, that they are taking artistic license, and it can be dangerous, and it can pull things out of context. Mm. So, there's no substitute for reading and understanding and knowing your Bible. And there's no substitute for the context of the Bible. That's what can get you through artistic license. Yeah. It it can prove it Mm. true or false, and then you can make good judgments. But investigating the original context, that is how the original hearers received the message, how it affected them, what the words meant in that day and age, in that culture, in that language, 
that's key, and that's what we do at Preserving yeah. Bible Times. So absolutely, absolutely, it's dangerous to take things out of a context, and it's dangerous to go down that road of quote artistic license. There are some things we can know, do know, and should pursue, and and the archaeological record, the historical record, the contextual. The uh, other historical literature that was written that gives us insight into the biblical times, we should read that, not as gospel, but as insight into the gospel. To just tell you another quick funny story, I was reading, I was watching one of the episodes of The Chosen and found a mistake that they made contextually because <laughs> one of their actresses talks about one of the characters going to tell door, which means they had a map out mm -hmm. and looked at a current map that said tell door. Well, tell is a mound, an archaeological mound that right, yeah, right. existed in the first century. <laughs> so she should have just said door, but she right. said tell door, tell door, and they didn't edit it out, and their <laughs> fact checkers did not find it. Mm. And I paused it and shared with my wife that she was in error that a first century person would never say tell door because tells do not exist yet. They're a 2,000 year later phenomena of a mound developing time after time. So, again, check the chosen with your Bible in your hand. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what we're doing here in relation to that. Yeah, there, there, there are a couple of errors in mm -hmm. context that mm -hmm. I saw too. But still, I enjoy enjoy the series. Oh yeah, I, I think it's, it's a, a, just a terrific thing that has been put together and it's so publicly available now. So, um, and and speaking of of the chosen in in that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, they did it pretty well, I think, regardless yeah. of where they might have had the, the the conversation located, because where where Nicodemus asks, can a can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? A lot of times, boy, what a dumb thing to say. Well, I, he said that with a wink. He was kidding. But right. the, the important part of his, his question was, how can a man be born when he is old? Right. Okay. Right. So, born again is mm -hmm. the key word there being, again, to be born again. To, how, how is one, how, how can someone be born again? So, my wife got really excited before she left for her morning appointment. She asked me, you know, what are you guys talking about on the radio today? And I said, Nicodemus. And she lit up. And she said, well, you need to talk about birth. You need to, you need to, you need to talk about uh, the, the picture that Jesus is using and I made the point, well, Nicodemus is bringing it up. No, and she said, no, Jesus said be born again. I said, yeah, but Nicodemus is pursuing it with the question. He's, he's going into the metaphor, the birth imagery, and he does it very detailed. And it, you could almost visualize it as almost like, a, um, like a comic strip. You know, mm -hmm. in a newspaper, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like this, this image of kind of humorous imagery of someone entering of course, in again. We, we should, should note here that Robbie's wife, Irene, just had a baby in November. Yeah, uh, I was just, and she said to talk about that. She said, you, you need to talk about this birth imagery. She said it's one of the most neglected pieces of, of, of the puzzle when pastors, predominantly male, I might add, mm -hmm. neglect to go into this birth imagery. And so, she said, you, you got to talk about it. And even this piece about being born of water and this spirit, 
this is this is controversial because many people have taken this verse to mean baptism. The baptismal waters are necessary unto salvation. So that would negate, say, the thief on the cross, mm-hmm. where he was not baptized, yet today you will be with me in paradise. So what does it mean that you must be born of water and spirit? I believe, and I hold to, what most scholars and commentators say, that it's simply the birth image of a baby coming into the world with a rush of water in the amniotic fluid when the, the water breaks during birth. So I've had the privilege of being with my wife as she has given birth to our two daughters and our two sons. And the first time I experienced birth, we were, she was in labor and was laying with her front to my back. When her water burst, it felt like being, I was being pelted with a water balloon that mm. burst in my back. And, and I knew exactly what it was because I had seen all these TV shows of, oh, my water burst, you know. <laughs> so I jump up, grab a towel. But this birth imagery and the first thing that a child will do, and I had this experience with the birth of my second daughter, where I watched my first daughter be put on my wife's chest. And she began to breathe and turn from a grayish purple color to pink mm. and and filled with oxygen. As the oxygen entered her lungs, she changed colors in front of me. Mm. Mm. And the Hebrew word that is used in Genesis to breathe, that God breathed his breath or spirit or wind, it's ruach. It's the Hebrew word of breath, wind, spirit. And in the New Testament, the word for spirit or breath is pneuma. So, when we're born of water, think the amniotic fluid, born into the world, the baby begins to breathe, and that oxygenated blood turns the complexion of the child into a pinkish color. That spirit, that life, that breath and water. So, when my second daughter was born, having that image seared into my mind, when she was put on her um, mother's chest, she was gasping for breath. She was struggling to breathe. She had fluid in her her lungs. And that had to be vacuumed or suctioned out. Aspirated, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, I recognized it and called it to the nurse's attention saying, hey, this isn't right. She should be changing color. And and she isn't because I remember it being such a vibrant image. Mm. So, this birth image is important. And I would add that it's uh, Jonah coming out of the fish, being vomited on the shore after three days, um, being consumed. And I I would say that Jesus gives us that image when he's talking to the Jews that are looking for a sign. And here it is, Nicodemus, Nick at night, coming at at night. And so, the next time we see Nicodemus is uh, him coming to get Jesus's body at the resurrection with Joseph of Arimathea, and that's in the daytime. So, Again, the birth image here with Nicodemus, where he is in the dark like a baby in the womb, and when he publicly admits and professes his faith in Jesus by coming to take the body, 
he does it in the daytime. He's been born again. Mm. So he's mm. no longer mm. a secret disciple. And before you think it's a stretch, let's look at the Gospel of John. Gospel of John written around 90 AD. It's not a synoptic gospel. It's very different. It's 21 chapters of goodness. And he tells us that many other things that Jesus write that weren't written in this book, but these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John has themes throughout his gospel. Number one is water. He has a theme. So what just happened? Jesus turned the water into wine. What just happened? The cleansing of the temple. That is a water image of washing and cleansing and purging. And then you have light and darkness. John's theme of light, darkness, and water are at play with Nicodemus. Mm. So you've had a he-who moment or two yourself, haven't you? Mm. Did you take Lamaze classes before those births? Uh, we did. We did hypno, hypnobirthing, and it oh. stuck because I didn't do anything else. Where, <laughs> where you just visualize a, uh, a a happy and successful. My wife has given birth all natural, all four times. Mm-hmm. So no no epidurals, no anything, and just natural childbirth. So uh, just just, it, a, just as a as a footnote, when 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 we were at the end of the church service, when her water broke. Mm. And, and and we were trying to get out the door, and there were all these people standing in line to shake hands with the pastor. And we had to push our way through. Shove, shove them out of <laughs> the way. <laughs> yeah. That was, our, that was our first son. So memorable stories around around the whole birth event. I mean, and, and I, I'm, I'm glad you got to watch it. Not every father in, in the past has had that. It used to be they, you know, out, you, go, you go right out. out there. Yeah. But what, a, yeah. what an amazing moment that is. It um, is. It yeah. is. And, and, and it's, it is life. I mean, it's the gift of mm-hmm. life. So the cliche or the saying is if you are born once, you will die twice. Mm-hmm. But if you're born twice, you only die once. Well, and okay. so the beauty of that mm-hmm. is we are called to be born again. And can you enter into a second time into your mother's womb? No. But you can uh, claim the one who did enter into the womb of the tomb and was resurrected or birthed into new life through the resurrection. Uh, Paul says it this way in, in Romans eight eleven: If the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, how much more shall he give life to your mortal bodies? So the imagery, the womb imagery of being born again Jesus' birth to new life through the womb of the tomb, it's the same imagery that Jesus gives to the Jews who are looking for a sign. A foolish and perverse generation looks for a sign, and none will be given it except for the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fist three days, three nights, so the Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth three days, three nights. And Jesus is birthed into resurrection from the womb of the tomb. And it is a birth image from darkness to light. From death to life. And in my mind, I'm wondering how we get from here to Moses and the snake on a stick. <laughs> well, it's the next thing. I mean, Jesus, uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus, uh, you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so mm-hmm. the Son of Man shall be lifted up. So this is in response to how is one born again. And one is born again through Jesus' death, burial, 
resurrection, and ascension. We're born again through his new birth that he is giving life to our mortal bodies. So, Jesus is speaking Nicodemus's language, and he is quoting from Numbers when the Israelite people were, were, were rebellious and doubtful that, of God. That, that is such a help that you said that. He's speaking in, in, in language that a Pharisee would relate to instantly. I mean, yeah. we all know it's Old Testament stuff, so we're, I'm trying to make a literal connection between a snake on a stick and Jesus on the cross. Uh, but if it's I were, I, well, I, yeah, but it's it's the other side of the coin. It's it's from the other perspective, and that's what's such a huge help in talking to you and getting these glimpses of how Jesus uses the Old Testament to prove his point to an Old Testament society, to a Jew, to a Pharisee, to a member of the Sanhedrin. So he's considering his audience, and so the cross. Jesus is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. So, just like you're looking for Waldo with his striped shirt and his glasses, you're looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. Sally Lloyd-Jones, the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, said it this way, every story whispers his name. Sometimes we get the benefit of Jesus actually connecting the dots for us. So, he connects the dots from the Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, he connects those dots to himself being lifted up on the cross. He says it, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the mm. Son of Man must be lifted up. So it's Jacob's ladder, the cross, bridging heaven and earth, angels ascending and descending, a bridge, the, the original stairway to heaven before Led Zeppelin got a hold of it. It's the serpent, the curse, wrapped around a pole. And so your key verse here, by the way, is Galatians 3.13, but first, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Couple that with Galatians 3.13 from the ESV. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. So, Jesus is going to be hung upon the tree. He is going to be nailed to a pole. He is going to take our curse, our sin, our fallen nature upon himself. So, he becomes the curse for us. And when we look to the cross and the curse of the enemy, sin and death, the serpent of sin and death, the serpent of sin, the serpent of death, on Jesus, on that pole, when we look at him, we shall live just like the Israelites in the wilderness who were being bitten by fiery serpents in the wilderness. That serpent is the same serpent we talked about last week when we were talking about the temptation of Jesus all the way back to the Garden of Eden the deceiver, the father of lies. This serpent killing the Israelites, striking at their heels, God says to Moses, put a serpent on the pole, put the bronze serpent, put the fiery serpent up on the pole, lift it up, and as long as people keep their eyes on that serpent, on that pole, they will live. As long as we keep our eyes, our faith, our attention, and our affection upon Jesus, the curse of our sin and death 
hanging upon him, dead on the pole of the tree, cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree, we will be born again. We will have his life. Robbie, you're lifting a fog here. I can just see it mm. dispersing mm. in front of me here as I, as I make mm. those connections. I have one last question, and this calls for some speculation, I think, because there's no way you can really answer it authoritatively. But Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee. He's probably had, had conversations, interchanges, maybe arguments with other Pharisees, with other members of the Sanhedrin about who this Jesus guy is. Now, Jesus says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Had he already discussed the possibility of killing Jesus? knowing it would have to be on a cross because the Romans would have to handle it. They couldn't do it themselves. Do you suppose that was a like a cold chill for Nicodemus that this man knows what, what we're planning? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, Nicodemus is, is according, he's, he's present um, when they are trying to convict Jesus. We see this in John 7, verses 50 through 51. Nicodemus, who had gone but to him before, referencing John 3, who was one of them, the Sanhedrin, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So, Nicodemus comes to Jesus's defense in John chapter 7, after having heard Jesus's testimony or instruction about how one must be born again, and after hearing the Son of Man must be lifted up. So, Nicodemus does understand what is being plotted in John chapter 7. That's amazing. That's amazing. All good information. And for more good information, we recommend that you maybe to pay a visit to preservingbibletimes.org. You'll find a lot of material from Robbie there. There'll be more and more of that in the future. Uh, and a, a, a career worth of, of, of deep thought on, on the context from, from Doug Greenwald, who founded the ministry in a, about uh, oh, 25 years ago, roughly. Preservingbibletimes.org. There's free stuff there. There's uh, uh, streaming videos. There's e-books. Uh, so anything you choose to purchase, you'll, you'll have access to instantly. And it's a great place to learn how to read between the lines. We recommend to visit preservingbibletimes.org. You can link there from Broken Road Radio if you're listening on our website this morning. Robbie, well, the fog is cleared. But we'll have more fog next week for you. There'll be another challenge ahead of us. So don't go Joy away. to be with you, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me on, Jim and David. Wonderful to be with you today on The Broken Road. Thanks, Rob. Outstanding program. Thanks, Rob.